0: Hello everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Oh, <sighs> This is it, the last episode in our Danny Rolling series. Yes, and I'm not gonna lie, this came really close to being a four-parter. Honestly, with all the information that's out there, that doesn't surprise me one bit.
1: Yeah, like the sheer amount of court footage that we've gone through for this series is unreal. And that doesn't even include the other sources that we mentioned before. Because, like, I'm not going to lie, this has been our deepest dive into a series to date.
0: Yeah, and we've we've heard from quite a few of you in regards to how you feel about this series and Danny himself. And don't worry, we are suffering right along with you. Yeah, we can't stand this guy either. Seriously, we, we can all bond over the fact that we hate this pile of absolute human sewage. Yeah,
1: we're going to start a We Hate Danny club with <laughs> jackets and everything. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to me because, like... Last week was absolutely horrific. Mm -hmm. This week's episode is terrible
0: in a completely different way. Honestly, and I mean, like, if his crimes didn't say enough about the kind of person he was, then his actions in court certainly did.
1: Yeah, and so we started this twisted journey off by talking about the childhood of Danny Rowling, and we saw him spend his teenage years as a walking, talking, red flag of a human being.
0: We spoke about how his dark hobby of looking into other people's windows led him closer and closer to criminality until finally he ended up assaulting someone.
1: That escalated into him committing other violent crimes,
0: along with the murder of a family in his hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. And like we mentioned then, we will be talking more about those murders today.
1: Along with all of that, last week we talked about the grisly murders that would earn Danny Rowling the nickname the Gainesville Ripper. I maintain it is some of the hardest stuff that we have ever had to talk about. Like, it's going to be a while until we can say that again. Because mm-hmm. back when we did our Pee Wee Gaskin series for episode six to seven, we said it was going to be a long time until we covered someone as terrible. And here we are.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely ready to occupy my mind with something other than Danny Rowling for a while after we're done here today, and I know Dina definitely is. Oh my god, anything. Anything <laughs> to him. So,
1: we're not going to be doing a recap of the last two episodes. If you feel like you need a refresher, you might want to pause this and listen to both of those again. We know it's been a lot of information so far, but honestly, there is still a lot more to come, and we want to get right into it.
0: We're going to start off today by talking about how the discoveries of the three crime scenes happened. We're also going to be going into Danny's arrest and the trial that followed it. And what
1: a trial it was. So Charlotte and I have been knee deep in Danny rolling trial footage for the last few weeks and I am so ready to watch pretty well anything at this point. We've been (laughs) messaging each other back and forth and we, I know we both have a lot to say here. Yeah,
0: like we mentioned before, this isn't one of those cases where the bad guy gets arrested and it's over. That's right, the trial happened in 1991 and Danny wasn't
1: executed until 2006 so that leaves us with a lot more time for his
0: nonsense. So let's get started and dive into the third and final part of our Danny Rolling series. Are you ready? Oh my god, I am so ready. How about you? (laughs) Yeah, let's do this. Alright, so where did we leave off with Danny?
1: Okay, you know what? I have to say something really quick. Can we just agree on the fact that this dude does not look like a Danny? Like, Danny to me is like an innocent kid's name, and I feel so weird referring to one of the most violent men we have ever covered as Danny. Like, this dude is a Daniel. If anything, he suits
0: his middle name more. He looks like a Harold to me. That's honestly, it's a really interesting observation, because I don't disagree with you. The name Danny does have kind of this, like, innocence to it that definitely doesn't suit the person in this
1: case. At this point, Danny has committed some of the most gruesome murders in Florida history, which considering some of the other well-known serial killers from that state is really saying something.
0: And we also want to remind you real quick that these were not the first murders that he committed. At this point, the triple homicide of the Grissom family was still considered an unsolved case. However, Shreveport police had noticed some of the similarities between the crimes and they began to suspect that they could be connected. They
1: contacted the authorities in Gainesville to share the information that they had, which is honestly quite nice considering how many times in the past we've spoken about issues with lack of communication from
0: state to state. Honestly, I th- like the police work in this case overall is pretty impressive, I have to say. Something to note here as well is that it wasn't the murders themselves that caused them to believe they could be connected. It was the mutilation and posing of the only female victim of the Grissom murders. Which to me is interesting because it shows that his
1: level of brutality was so one of a kind, so to speak. It it was difficult to believe that two unrelated people were out there mutilating bodies like this. And when Shreveport police heard about Gainesville, they were automatically like, this has to be our guy. Like, I know last week we shared a lot of really difficult information regarding the murders and what he did to those bodies. Listen, we still held back a fair bit. I honestly think that even with all of the horrible stuff that we shared, we barely scratched the surface of how awful these crimes were.
0: All the details, um, especially when the medical examiner goes over them, they're all there in the court videos if you want to see, but uh, we're all just going to omit them today so we're not uh, re-traumatizing everybody.
1: <laughs> and honestly, it's it's one of those things where if you're if you have a morbid curiosity I get that I am that person too but like there are some things you can't unread
0: yes so we'll we'll leave that in your hands (laughs) yeah (sighs) Well, it didn't take long before the friends and family of Sonia Larson and Christina Powell realized that the two normally very social young women weren't responding to any visitors. They hadn't set up their landline yet because they were still getting settled in for the school year. Because of this, people weren't able to reach them by phone. It was around 4pm on the Sunday of that weekend when the police
1: became involved in the case. Officer Ray Barber was nearing the end of his shift when he got a call to respond to a citizen who needed help. When he arrived at the Williamsburg Village Apartments where Sonia and Christina lived, he met a maintenance man who had been called by some worried parents.
0: Essentially, the reason he'd been called was because the parents of Christina Powell hadn't heard from their daughter. She was supposed to call them earlier that weekend to chat about their plans to visit her that Sunday. When she hadn't called, they drove to see her, and God, I can't even imagine how worried they must have been when they couldn't get a hold of her. It's
1: horrible because, like, they said that, yeah, they were somewhat worried, but at this point, like, they had no reason to believe she was in danger. They thought that maybe she had just gotten busy with like the fun and excitement of being a new college student and that she hadn't had the chance to get her phone set up
0: yet. Upon their arrival, they found a bunch of notes on their door from friends who had tried to visit at various points during that weekend. This caused even more concern. Some of the notes were days old. Why hadn't they seen them? They called the maintenance
1: man to get a key for the apartment so that they could conduct a wellness check. And it was protocol for a police officer to be on the scene whenever this happened. I found it funny that a bunch of the sources said that he didn't want to, and this is a direct quote, take responsibility. So he called the police and I thought that was so stupid. Like he called the cops because it was Protocol that he had to follow. And honestly, thank goodness that he did, because otherwise he would have been walking the parents into the scene of their daughter's murder. And again, like, we're basing this information we have off of court testimony. Like, that's what Officer Barber testified to under oath. Yeah, I by
0: no means think that the maintenance guy here is at fault. Like, I mean, obviously, there was lots of notes and things, and their friends hadn't been able to contact them. But for all the maintenance guy knew, like, they didn't want to see their parents. Like, You know, so he can't just be barging into young girls' apartments because people show up and they're like, yeah, where are their parents? He didn't know that. Absolutely. Backup was called around this time. While he waited for them to arrive, uh, they tried different keys to get into the apartment. They were unable to find the right keys. So eventually Officer Barber broke a window on the upstairs landing and was able to reach through and unlock
1: the door. As soon as he walked in, he saw the body of Sonya Larson on the bed. He turned away and he told the parents, as well as the maintenance man, to not enter the apartment under any circumstance. And then he went to the apartment to ensure that whoever was responsible for the body being left there was gone.
0: He didn't find the killer there, but he did find the body of Christina Powell, who was left lying nude on the living room floor. At this point, backup arrived and the crime scene was secured. It was incredibly refreshing to get to
1: talk about a case where crime scenes were actually handled properly because... We've talked about so many cases in the past where the crime scene is trampled and picked apart by curious people with zero respect, but in every instance here, the officers knew what to do, and because of that, evidence was able to be properly gathered. I hate how little we see that in the cases that we cover.
0: It's honestly, it's a shame we even have to point it out, really, because- It shouldn't be something that gets the recognition it does because it should just automatically happen with every crime scene there is. But as it stands, you're absolutely right. We see the opposite occur all too often. Gary Manning from the
1: Gainesville Police Department arrived on the scene along with the other officers. He was a
0: criminalistics investigator. Officer James Ward was tasked with interviewing Sonia Larson's boyfriend, who had spoken to both women just a few hours prior to when their murders happened. He stated that everything had seemed fine and that he couldn't possibly understand who would do something like this. Neither of the young women had any enemies.
1: This brings us to the discovery of the body of Krista Hoyt. Krista worked for the Alashua Sheriff's Department as a clerk, and she was studying chemistry at the time and had dreams of becoming a crime lab technician. She was known by many people who worked in various positions
0: for the Sheriff's Department, and she was pretty well-liked. Her absence at work was noticed very quickly. She took her job seriously and was not one to ever be late, let alone miss a shift. Deputy Keith O'Hara was called by dispatch to check on her and made his way to her apartment on the 27th.
1: When he arrived on the scene, it was dark. He knocked on her door, but there was no response. He then went to look for the building manager,
0: a man who we mentioned last week
1: named Albert Hoover.
0: Albert, who lived just a few doors down, had already heard the knocking at her door. The two walked back around, and Albert noticed that the gate was unlatched again.
1: If you remember last week, we talked about him and Krista chatting
0: about the gate being left open and him advising her to keep it closed. And this may not seem like much, but it was enough to cause concern for Albert. He mentioned in court that this gate was hardly ever unlatched, and the fact that it happened twice so close together worried him.
1: Once they made their way to the apartment, Deputy O'Hara saw that there was a large window along the door. The blinds were shut other than a small section along the bottom which had been
0: disturbed, and he was able to look through it. He got down on his hands and knees and looked through. He got up right away and told Albert Hoover to go back into his apartment, lock the door, and wait there. He had seen a nude body propped up on the bed. He called for backup. And I want to point out something from the court tapes really quickly. We spoke about how
1: Danny went out of his way to make sure that the crime scenes would essentially scar whoever found them for life. Like, he made sure of that, mm-hmm. especially with this one. He left her goddamn head on a bookshelf. Yeah, he sure like, did. <laughs> he like, sure did. But even Elbert, who looks like a very nice, like, older man gets quite emotional while he's talking about this, because how could you not? Danny went out of his way to make sure he victimized each and every single person that would be involved with these crimes.
0: And don't forget, he, not only did that to her body which is fucking awful in itself he literally arranged like mirrors and stuff around the apartment so that no matter how you entered you would immediately see this fucking rancid scene so
1: (sighs) like imagine the fact that like that takes time that takes oh yeah and like thought so like that was it
0: was deliberate and like to me that just he's disgusting yeah and then not to mention the fact that he left his wallet and came back hours later,
1: like... And, and did uh, more.
0: And did more and, shit! And, 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 yeah, exactly. Oh, man. And if this is not complete premeditation, like, there's no way you could argue that this was random at all. No. Ray Barber, who discovered Sonia and Christina, was involved with this crime scene as well, uh, alongside with uh, Lieutenant Nobles and Sergeant Baxter. They arrived with a team to begin investigating the brutal scene. And this must have been so difficult for them because not
1: only is this a scene that would upset even the most seasoned investigator, but a lot of these men knew her. Yeah. They worked with her. Like, I have to keep bringing the court tapes up here because, like, it just shows the effect this had on everyone involved. When Lieutenant Noble showed up, he called for an ambulance right away. He kept pushing for an ambulance because he had a hard time accepting Man. that she was
0: dead. When I saw that, I I teared up. I was like, oh. I know. Because you picture it like... I would imagine like these guys who are working with her she's she was only 18 years old. She was still so young and they probably see themselves as like either like father figures or like older brothers or Absolutely. straight up just like her friends. Oh man
1: and they they thought that she had been sleeping they just thought that she slept in like that's all it was Mm -hmm. they no one expected this no like all of this was before he saw the body of course because he says in court how he had a hard time coming to terms with it and understanding the actual gravity of the situation and keep in mind this isn't a team of rookie cops like these are investigators with decades upon decades of experience between them
0: yeah Uh, They were able to get into the apartment, and finally the severity of what Danny Rowling had done sunk in. Of course, at this time, they had no clue that it was him. All they knew was that there was a very sick individual out there, and he was looking to cause as much harm as possible. This was probably the murder where we left
1: the most information
0: out. That, again,
1: was by choice. Even what we mentioned is horrific, but it's clear he spent a lot of time
0: mutilating her body, and what he did to her is almost unimaginable. At this point, it was pretty clear that these two scenes were very possibly connected. There were a lot of similarities. Missing underwear, use and removal of tape, and of course, a large bladed knife.
1: A task force was formed at this time, and people were both
0: horrified and eager to see who the person responsible was and to bring him to justice. And they wanted this done before he struck again. People were horrified that they could be next, especially students, and the fact that Krista did not attend the same school as the other victims caused a lot of concern. This led people to believe that the killer was choosing people randomly instead of selecting women that he knew, which unfortunately was right. Another thing that really worried the public was the fact that a lot of these women looked quite alike. We mentioned it in part one, but all these women looked pretty similar to his first wife.
1: I'm going to bring this back to everything we saw happening in Idaho recently. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine being 18, you're out on your own for probably the first time ever, and then something like this happens near you. Like, of course you're going to be horrified. Imagine how the parents of these students felt. Like, because of this, a lot of people considered not coming back to school at all. And we saw this happen in Idaho recently.
0: Yeah, almost identically. It creates this panic. Kids were trying to call their parents and vice versa. And then they weren't able to get through because all the uh, phone lines were so tied up. Because remember, this is the 90s. Parents weren't hearing from their kids. So they'd panic, call the police, and then things would just escalate. It was utter chaos. Students would sleep in groups of up to 12 because they were
1: so afraid of being alone. Young women were terrified of any unfamiliar man that they saw because for all they knew, any of them could be the Gainesville Ripper. Women stayed close together and those of them
0: with male friends trusted them to keep them safe. On Tuesday, August 28th, the bodies of Tracy Paulus and Manuel Toboda were discovered. This caused even more panic. Not only were there more victims, but this time one of them was a man. So basically now everyone thought that they could be in danger. A friend of Manuel's had
1: attempted to call him, but he hadn't been able to get in touch. They reached out to another friend who lived nearby and asked him to check on the two. Tommy Carroll arrived at the apartments and spoke with the
0: building manager who agreed to let him in. The manager unlocked the door using a master key he had, and right away he saw what had happened. Tracy was lying naked on the floor between the two bedrooms. And this is something really interesting to note. Ugh, this bothered me a lot. Yeah, so he said he saw her body and then saw a dark bag. He closed the door and locked it immediately so that they could call the police. When the police showed up and the door was opened again, the bag was gone. So who
1: moved the bag? There were theories that Danny was maybe still in the apartment and that he snuck out without anyone seeing him, but this is something about the case that really doesn't give us a clear answer.
0: Yeah, I don't like that at all, because Mm -mm. if Danny was still in that apartment, they could have just been another victim of Danny's, because if he'd have continued into the apartment, like I don't know if Danny would have actually been ballsy enough to go toe-to-toe with another man entering the scene unexpectedly. So... Either way, the outcome there could have been very different. There was
1: evidence that the killer had stopped what he was doing before he wanted to. Tracy was found with a towel under her hips and her hair was still wet. Someone had attempted to clean her body but was possibly unable to finish. So neither of these bodies were mutilated, which
0: also led the investigators to believe that the killer had again been interrupted. At this point, the case is getting attention all over the country and people were being reminded of another terrible human being who had just been put to death the year prior, Ted Bundy. He keeps coming up, doesn't he? (laughs) I know, we just can't avoid him. We cannot avoid him.
1: Thousands of tips came in. Some of them were useful, some of them were not, but each one was looked into. The investigators didn't want to miss anything. They noticed soon that one name kept coming up. However, it wasn't Danny Rowling, and this is honestly just wild. Danny Rowling could have almost gotten
0: away with this. Comparisons were being made in regards to these murders and the Unsolved Grissom murders. Investigator Don Maines was sent to Shreveport to find out
1: more and see if the crimes were in fact connected he found out that not only were
0: the bodies mutilated, there were a lot of similarities between the four crimes. Exactly. Along with the posing of the victims, there was also evidence that the killer had gone through great lengths to clean the privates of the women he assaulted in an attempt to get rid of any DNA that would be left behind.
1: Not only that, there was similar residue found on many of the bodies. They talk about this a lot in court, but it was essentially proof that the killer had used the same type of tape uh, they also found that the blood type of the killer found at the scene matched blood
0: found at one of the Gainesville scenes. Despite all of this, things kind of derailed for a moment. About a week after the Gainesville murders, the press made a shocking announcement. The Gainesville Ripper had been caught. The problem? They hadn't caught Danny Rowling. Instead, they arrested an 18-year-old man named Edward Humphrey.
1: And this entire thing must have been such a nightmare. Clearly, we now know that edward was not the man they were looking for however that doesn't mean that the police didn't think that he made a very convincing suspect
0: and we just want to very quickly share with you uh the team that was put together to collect evidence from potential suspects calls themselves or rather called themselves the tubes and pubes squad So that's fun. The suspect list had grown to over 600 names and it was their job to contact each suspect, interview them, ask them if they'd be willing to give police a DNA sample so that they could be excluded from the suspect list. Edward was high up on that list. Edward had a history of mental health related outbursts and unfortunately some of them
1: had been violent. It also appeared that he may have been spotted in the area around the time of one of the murders.
0: He was kind of known in the area as being somewhat of a strange man and people who had seen him during his lower points believed that he could have been capable of the murders. Unfortunately for Edward, so did the police. During that summer,
1: people had filed various complaints about him in the same building that Tracy and Manuel had lived.
0: It was reported that he had fought with his roommates and they kicked him out. His roommates also said that he would often sleepwalk and end up in their rooms and made various complaints about him being creepy.
1: Apparently when they tried to kick him out, he refused to leave and they had to call management to remove him from the premises. He got angry at them and he threw a chair when they
0: showed up. This hadn't been the first time that people had complained about him. Prior to this, he lived in an apartment complex nearby. He was kicked out of there when people complained about him walking into their apartments and refusing to leave. Can we just make this yet another reminder to lock your damn doors? When they finally got him to leave, they were shocked to find him still peering through their windows watching them. In early August,
1: he was violent towards his grandmother, who moved in with him for a little bit while they were looking for an apartment. And at one point he showed up at a frat house and he pulled a small knife on someone when
0: they wouldn't let him in. He was known to go into local coffee shops and talk loudly and openly about murdering women. He once told a local bank employee that he had knives at home that could flay the skin off of her body. So some pretty big red flags there for sure. Okay, so this is a guy who we know had some mental
1: health issues that clearly weren't being dealt with properly. He was also violent
0: and he had a pretty concerning history. He clearly wasn't the best guy in the world, but at the end of the day, the police didn't really have much to go off of.
1: They actually had him locked away with very little evidence while they attempted to build a case around him. And obviously that is incredibly wrong. Like they had essentially nothing to hold him on other than people's negative views on him and some pretty concerning past behavior, but they still managed to lock him away.
0: In a sense, you kind of feel sorry for him because clearly he's already going through some pretty serious stuff. Yeah. Um, But this entire thing must have been a pretty horrifying ordeal for both him and his family, especially because, uh, yeah, he had a pretty uh, horrible track record when it came to threatening people around him.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it actually took four days before a judge was even willing to grant them any kind of search warrant related to him or his property. Like, they really had to push for it.
0: Well, they were under a lot of pressure to find the killer, but unfortunately when we see this happen, it also means that they're spending time and money looking at the wrong person. Not to mention that this gets terribly unethical for a a few different reasons. It didn't help that once they caught him, the killings coincidentally stopped. They assumed that this meant they had caught the killer. Unfortunately, it just meant that Danny was undergoing what is referred to as a cooling off period, similar to how he took time after the Grissom murders. Exactly. We see this a lot
1: where a serial killer will commit their crimes and then they get whatever it is they wanted out of it and this keeps them satisfied for a bit of time, but it often ends up with them either killing again or
0: getting caught. Sometimes these cooling off periods can be weeks, months, or in the case of BTK, decades. This is probably kind of off topic and involves
1: us completely guessing, but Charlotte, do you think that if they hadn't caught him that he would have killed
0: again? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, no doubt about it. I think when the behavior of the killer is escalated over time like it did for Danny, like first with the peeping and hurting animals, then murdering human beings and brutalizing them, I don't think you can just stop after that. I think if anything, it's going to continue to escalate until the person is caught or killed.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you like for me just based off of his attitude towards the murders we find out about all of that in court and even afterwards like this man had zero empathy like zero if it didn't directly involve hurting him he didn't care. And along with that, he had no impulse control, and that makes for a
0: really dangerous combination. Absolutely, because I mean, every time he's rejected or has a bad day, he immediately takes it out on those around him. And through nearly all faults of his own, Danny has a lot of bad days. We will remind all of
1: you that oftentimes just losing a job would set him off enough to violently assault someone or even murder them. Like, to me, that says this is someone who clearly shouldn't be allowed in
0: society. Agreed. The only reason Edward was cleared in the end was because they actually caught Danny and he confessed. Thank goodness. Because like if they hadn't
1: caught Danny, I wonder if this would have become one of those cases where a desperation to see the bad guy caught results in the wrong person being convicted. Mm -hmm. Because like, unfortunately, that
0: happens. Oh, all the time.
1: Yeah, like, and I mean, Edward Humphrey, he was clearly no Boy Scout, but he wasn't a serial
0: killer either. Like we mentioned earlier, Don Mains had gone to Shreveport to investigate the connection between the Grissom murders and the Gainesville murders. Around this time, a woman named Cindy Juracic called in a tip about a man she had met at church. She heard about the Gainesville crimes and told them
1: about how her husband stopped hanging out with a man that he knew because he quote-unquote stuck
0: knives in people. That man, Danny Rowling. Apparently, she suspected him for a little while, to the point where it began to completely haunt her. She was losing sleep over it, but still she had her doubts and had a hard time believing that a man she had met at church could be capable of something so terrible. And to me, it's hard to
1: blame her because we've talked about it again and again. This man is a chameleon. If he only wanted you to see the church-going southern gentleman side of him, he would make sure that you did.
0: Like, very few people saw the real him. Police looked into this and found that Danny Rowling had a history of criminal offenses, including armed robbery. They also found out that a bank robbery had occurred on the day of Krista Hoyt's murder. That's
1: right, and not to mention, a few days prior, two men had been chased by a police officer. One of them, a fellow by the name of Tony Danzi, was apprehended and told the police
0: that the man he was with was named Mike. And if you recall, Danny had been actively using Michael Kennedy Jr.'s identity at this time. They didn't catch Mike, but they did find a number of items at a campsite that were locked away as evidence. Amongst them was a bag of cash that had been stained with pink dye.
1: This is actually kind of funny to me because, like, Danny apparently robbed this bank and he made them promise that the cash didn't have a die pack in it that was going to explode. And they were like, Yeah, definitely. It doesn't. Oh, for sure, Danny. We promise. Of course. Of course. (laughs) And so he leaves with the money, and the die exploded all over him. It is so easy to forget how horrifying this man is when you see the amount of, like, Looney Tunes goof-em-ups that he has.
0: I mean, if nothing else, it goes to prove that the old, like, high IQ serial killer you see in the movies and TV shows is more often than not a false stereotype.
1: You're absolutely right, and Danny Rowling is definitely no criminal mastermind.
0: No, I, you know what, he probably (laughs) saw himself as some kind of, like, To be fair, I'm not sure if Silence of the Lambs had come out when Danny got an opportunity, but he probably would have thought of himself as, like, a Hannibal Lecter kind of guy. And it's like, sir, come on. Hold on. It came out in 1991. I wonder if he would have been able to see it. February. Oh, maybe. It's possible. When was... He
1: he may have seen it. Yeah, he may have seen
0: it. I could see him being like, yep, that's me, Mr. Intellectual. Because, like, the man's thought he was a poet. Mm Mm-hmm. He was not. (laughs) No. (laughs) So they also found at the campsite a few other items that initially they didn't think too much of. These items would later link Danny Rowling to the murders. And yes, among them was the cassette tape, and we will get into that later. After his close encounter with police, Danny went on the run. He robbed a student and stole his car, then made his way to Alcala where he robbed a grocery store at gunpoint. Police were called, and this led to a high-speed chase between them and Danny.
1: But Danny eventually crashed the car and tried to run, and he was caught and
0: arrested. Investigators decided to look into the tip from Cindy Jurachik further and found that Danny Rowling was being held in a facility that was a mere 40 miles from Gainesville. Investigator Steve Platt visited Danny in jail to obtain DNA
1: samples from him.
0: You guys are going to love this part. <laughs>
1: yeah, this story, man, this grosses me the hell out in a whole other way. This uh... man is seriously a human bag of trash. And this is just another example of that. Like, Charlotte, you saw this in the documentary and you messaged me about it. I
0: sure did. I sure did. So, oh my God. Basically, uh, so investigator Steve Platt arrived along with Danny's public defender and told Danny that his pubic hair would need to be collected and tested along with various other types of his DNA. He told him specifically that they would need approximately 30 to 50 hairs from him. And what does Danny do? He immediately stands up at the table, drops his orange jumpsuit, grabs two handfuls of pubic hair, rips them out in one go, and says, that ought to be about 50. (sighs) Hello, sir? And I would like to point out that Danny's public (laughs) defender was also a lady. she was a female public defender and in the documentary uh Steve Platt the investigator is like in that moment he literally watched him turn from like meek and mild and feel sorry for me because I'm poor little Danny to someone who is dominating the situation and very aggressive he's like I saw it in a in in the snap of your fingers kind of thing so again it leads to the point that Danny is this social chameleon. Imagine being his public defender and seeing that, and then having to defend him. I, I don't know how public defenders do it. I really don't.
1: No, no, and it goes without saying, but they tested the hair, and it ended up matching the hair that was found at the crime scenes. And listen, you guys, like, please don't hate me for further making us talk about the fucking bush hair of this <laughs> Oh no! But like, what the hell was going down down there where he could one yank out handfuls of it at will and two, leave it everywhere he went and again i'm sorry that i made us all think about it but if i had to go down that horrific rabbit hole of thoughts and so do all of you
0: um it when i learned of this it would also cross my mind something along those lines but it really doesn't bear giving any further thought to so let's just uh move on shall we i've already thought about it more than i'd like to admit so yeah let's go
1: oh man DNA confirmation wasn't enough so they wanted a confession from Danny himself and this may leave some of you wondering why they didn't come at him then and there for the murders and it's because they didn't want to risk messing up the investigation in any way and somehow seeing this man not punished to the fullest extent of the law
0: or even worse somehow walking free. In prison, it became very apparent that Daddy Rowling had a big mouth. Numerous inmates reported him bragging about the crimes and overall just trying to make himself look like a tough guy. It seemed that he wasn't exactly
1: unhappy about the attention that he was getting.
0: And it seemed pretty obvious that he had absolutely no regrets when it came to what he had done.
1: Okay, so let's get into this confession. This entire thing is available to watch online along with the rest of the court footage, the audio quality for this is kind of rough and hard to hear but basically danny had met another inmate
0: named bobby lewis bobby was a man with a reputation himself he was known for escaping from death row and it isn't really a surprise that danny would you know look to make friends with someone who had prison clout so to speak this entire confession
1: is ridiculous to watch oh it's so
0: like like, over the
1: top and like it's pointless so stupid so okay like they wanted danny to talk so they kind of let him like make up the rules here which got the job done it did but it just goes to show how big of a diva he really is so he refused to talk directly but he asked that investigators ask Bobby Lewis, who would ask Danny, who would answer, and then Bobby would answer on his behalf. And
0: they're in the same room. Like, they're, they're sitting the, across they're, the table from each other. They're sitting at the,
1: ta- the same table. Yeah. And when they, when they begin, they are basically, like, explaining how this is going to go over. And you can hear in their voices that they are fed up at this
0: point, And they're doing this just because they have to. In an attempt to explain why he did what he did, Danny had this to say. I let my guard down. I let the
1: evil in and the evil just took over. And it was like when the sun would go down, I couldn't resist it. It just pulled me like a tidal wave. And in the day when the morning would come up, it
0: was just like I would hate myself. And I was like, my God, what have I become? And when it came to his views on the quote unquote evil in him, Danny had this to say.
1: There's just no turning back. I think there's a war going on, and I think that a war is in a dimension that you can't really see with your naked eye between the forces of good and evil. Angels and devils, if you will, and they prey on us. So goddamn
0: dramatic. And th- this, is, this is
1: a Danny accent, because like, now I hear everything in a stupid fucking voice, and they prey on us. And they prey like, on I just, us. Yeah, they, they prey uh, on get
0: us. Get out like, of I here. Just, ah! Just keep that shit to yourself, Danny. No one cares. You're a moron. (laughs) And you know what the other thing, too, is, like, keep in
1: mind, like, this sounds like bullshit to you all right now, I would assume, and I'm probably right. But, like, (laughs) they had to hear him, like, whisper this. Oh, yeah. And then, like... You know what I mean? Like, they had to basically play like telephone to get this out of him. So it isn't even like,
0: oh my god, it's, uh, this is a mess. No kidding. And I can imagine that, I mean, if I were a member of this investigation team, I would be like, you, I don't have patience for this. You have murdered eight people. Go fuck yourself, sir. Exactly, exactly. Once they finally had the confession, it was time for Danny Rowling to go to court and face a potential death sentence. And this finally brings us to the trial of Danny Rowling.
1: And what a trial it was. I have so much Danny Rowling court footage living completely rent-free in my brain right now Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I can't wait to fill it up with literally anything else. I do have to say before we get into any of this, and Charlotte, I'm sure you're going to agree, but, like, I was legitimately impressed with the prosecution of this case. Mm -hmm. Like, they had fantastic witnesses. They interviewed a lot of, like, the big players in the investigation as well, which was, like, interesting to see because they were all really experienced, and they were overall just really good witnesses, I-, I felt that from early on, they had a solid case. Like, I love this kind of stuff. So to me, it was a lot. And I mean a lot of information, but it was fascinating to see how they put everything together.
0: Yeah, because we have the video footage of the entire trial, like days and days of footage, basically. And I think... It it gives you kind of a unique way to learn a lot about the case, which is really cool. And I think as well, especially for me, it gives you a more realistic perspective on how an actual trial works versus kind of like what you see in the movies and on TV. Like, obviously, movies and TV, they, they have to come from at least a little bit of realism when it comes to this sort of Mm -hmm. stuff and I mean like people talk about like My Cousin Vinny which is an excellent movie um being like the best representation of how a court case goes um but yeah because of the rules in Florida everything is out there for you to see if you want to watch all hundreds of hours of it (laughs) it's a lot It is a lot, but
1: it's interesting. I mean, no doubt it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, At this point, Danny had confessed all the crimes. The trial wasn't to prove whether or not he was guilty, but to determine what the correct punishment was going to be. So the prosecution was trying to push for the death penalty while the defense was hoping for a life sentence. The lead defense attorney said that they were asking for a sentence that
0: puts Mr. Rowling in a cell to close the door. You take the key, you lock it, you throw the key away. That's what we're asking for. And the goal was to allow the Almighty to decide when he dies rather than the state of Florida. So they all agreed that he had done it and that he needed to be punished. The defense basically just wanted to show that due to his upbringing that he did not deserve to die for what he had done. The defense talked
1: in great detail about James Rowling's hatred towards his son and the abuse that Claudia and Danny endured, and they also spoke about the great deal of rejection that he dealt with from an early age and how it impacted him.
0: They also spoke about Danny's brother Kevin Rowling and the abuse he endured, however, they didn't go into great detail here. We talked about Kevin uh, a little bit before and how he said his father was not abusive, and we would wait until now to kind of clear something up. So Kevin Rowland did say that, however, he also admitted that he had blocked out a huge part of his childhood, and I think we all know that isn't exactly the best sign.
1: Yeah, and I made a lot of notes about my thoughts throughout this entire thing, so I hope you don't mind me chiming in here and no, there with it. No, go for it. But something that I keep thinking about this entire time is I am wondering what the jurors were thinking.
0: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: this all happened after they spent hours hearing about the horrible things that Danny did. Like, did they buy it? Did they sympathize? Like, the other thing I found interesting was that the prosecution, like, during their time to speak, it showed Danny a lot. But while the defense was speaking, it didn't show him until 30 minutes into their whole speech. And this is a decision made by uh, by Court TV. But I was just kind of curious about that. I was curious about why they didn't show him. Because I mm-hmm. feel like they had a lot of opportunities where they didn't. He was there. It just wasn't until 30 minutes in. Yeah. And something else is they also talked about how he prayed for a wife while he was at church one day. And O'Mather walked by. And that's why he went after her, her to begin with. Which, like oh my God, like you pray to God for this wife. She walks by Mm -hmm. and you marry her and then you abuse her. You threaten her with a shotgun
0: until she leaves you. Right, because in Danny's mind, this is a partner that was sent by God to him and he still chose to treat her like shit, like make that make sense.
1: Yeah, and speaking of his relationships, they also talk about a woman named Bunny Mills who was a friend of Danny's. Uh, They told a story where he had come over to her house and was crying about how his father didn't love him, which apparently was a pretty regular thing. Uh, (laughs) She saw that he needed mental health help and tried to get it for him. And she suggested that they go together. And his reaction was running around the apartment to the point where she had to chase him to settle him down. There's um, just so much to unpack there. (laughs) Yeah. And again... We talked about this last week. This is how he reacted to the divorce papers. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, I, I, I guess everyone's got their way of dealing with uh, hard-to-hear information, and Danny's is to run a mile, I guess. I guess, yeah. The various members of the investigation team were interviewed, and with that, the prosecution was able to piece together the series of events that happened during that weekend in Gainesville. This lined up with Danny's version of events
1: something else that's interesting to note that because this entire trial is recorded on camera there's a small audience watching and the camera often pans over to danny which i thought was really interesting because of his reactions or really like his lack of them Mm -hmm. i'm i'm sure he was advised to behave a certain way but like he really just like he sits there He blinks a lot and he really doesn't react like he looks around sometimes and things like that. But like, wait until you hear about what he does when we do catch him reacting to something. Because like it made me
0: nearly scream in frustration. (laughs) He he really does blink a lot. And he kind of he of course, he has that kind of naturally sad looking face. He has these glasses on. And for the most part. He has kind of his head in his hands and he's, again, blinking a lot for some reason. And he doesn't often look around at the people around him. He kind of keeps his eyes down. And I would assume that's either his attempt or his lawyers have advised him to make himself seem very, like, harmless and meek and kind of repentant, maybe. And I thought it was interesting because he doesn't do that for the whole trial.
1: There was, like, a certain point of the trial where he kind of just, like, stops doing it and it goes from, like, when they're talking more, well, there's a specific part we'll talk about, but like he goes and starts looking more into the audience. Mm -hmm. and looking at people and looking at their reaction, so it's interesting to me because it almost
0: seems like that facade didn't last no and you don't see it do or see it see him well it um you don't see him do this in his interviews in prison afterwards uh when he's in death row which is like so it's obviously not a natural thing for him and it doesn't look natural no it's so no exactly it's so hollow They also had witnesses
1: who were able to provide testimony saying that Danny was heard bragging about the crimes.
0: Uh, Something else that we haven't mentioned yet, and it isn't talked about a ton, uh, but it does say a lot about where Danny was mentally. They spoke in court about him blaming his actions on two alter egos. One was Gemini, which we will share a poem later. uh, And um, the other is Yanad, which is Danny backwards
1: yeah he's so creative so creative right
0: or as he calls it enad enad oh my
1: lord -mm. enad and gemina stupid (laughs) (laughs) so long story short he attempted to use these two egos to explain why he did what he did he had a dark side and those were his names for it and we do see this with a few different serial killers gacy being one and most
0: recently joseph d'angelo they also talk about the various items left at the campsite, which were all proved to belong to Danny.
1: I just wanna quickly chime in. We're currently trying to mush together at least
0: like how many hours would you say? Uh you know, <sighs> Overall, probably like a hundred hours. So you for sure watched like 50 to 60 hours. Yeah,
1: more, more than I, I should have really like,
0: <laughs> I mean, we could do an entire series on just
1: the trial. We're trying to include like the super relevant stuff that we took away from it. But again, like the
0: prosecution had a really well built case. They sure did. They continue to interview the investigators regarding the discoveries of the bodies, which we talked about earlier in the episode. Seeing the people involved in the crime scene investigation really brings it to light. There are some points where even officers with decades of experience become quite emotional talking about this, because how could you not, really?
1: There was one part that legitimately gave me goosebumps. Like, they have crime scene investigator Zach Smith on the stand, and they hand him this bag of evidence, and they ask him to pull out what's inside, and you don't know what he's going to pull out, right? Mm -hmm. So he opens it, and it's the ski mask that Danny wore. And this scared the absolute shit out of me. Like, at this point in the trial, I've seen his face more than I want to count. And that is, however, he wants to present himself then, suit and tie, whatever. But, like, I see this mask and I picture him wearing it. It's, like, this dark red with, like, a light outline around the mouth and the eyes. And I can't even imagine the terror of seeing someone wearing something like that in your home. Yeah. Like, we mentioned before, these crimes are what inspired the screenplay for the movie Scream. Mm -hmm. And to me, this mask is scarier than
0: anything you could write because it's just
1: so real if that makes sense
0: i w- like i i imagine like zach smith he reaches into the bag and pulls it out right like i would not want to touch that oh my god no i like it j- that no. just seems like fucking cursed is what that i is. wouldn't want to be
1: in the same room as no, that thing. yeah like me you want to burn that
0: shit after and be done with it no kidding Okay, so everyone, it is now time for the moment you've all been waiting for. (laughs) We are going to talk about the infamous cassette tape. I listened
1: to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. The whole Mm -hmm. thing. (laughs) If
0: that doesn't show my dedication... To
1: bring our listeners the solid <laughs> information that they have grown to expect from us. I don't know what will. But, like, however, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not solid information. <laughs> this is something I can only describe <sighs> as cringe-ass bullshit. I All
0: I can say is that the entire thing gave me <laughs> severe secondhand embarrassment. embarrassment. Like, oh, my God. So, the tape starts off on a
1: high note with Danny saying he is, and I quote... In the woods with the stars for a blanket. And then he goes on to apologize to his parents and his brother for what
0: he's about to do. And he cries a lot during all of this. And just to clarify, we aren't making fun of him for showing emotions or anything like that. We're making fun of him because this is a load of fucking garbage. And you'll see, like, you'll see why soon enough.
1: He says a lot of kind words to his mother. And he asks her to not blame herself,
0: saying... I don't believe it's anybody's fault. It's just the way things happen sometimes. And there's something that he says too in the tapes that I don't know why it got with
1: me. He's like talking to her and he's like, and no one cooks better than you, sugar.
0: Yes. And it's like, what and... the fuck does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I'm uh... like,
1: what are you talking about? Like, I'm going to apologize here and now, but like, I have so much I have to get off my chest <laughs> when it comes to this tape. It's so
0: atrocious the audacity
1: man I can't with it so one of the things that he says uh, that stuck out to me was he says to his dad about how his dad got himself a good one and how his mother got herself a good one too which I found interesting considering everything that he said about his father although like familial abuse it's super complicated and you can still love those who hurt you and Danny clearly was desperate for his father's approval and had a lot of love and respect for him but I just thought that was interesting
0: it's it's so twisted he he tells his brother Kevin that he loves him and that he would trade both of his arms if he could go back and do everything all over again we'll point out that this cassette tape is all before he actually committed the Gainesville crimes. It's really fucking frustrating to listen to. I think something, or rather, I think I said something similar before, um, but, like, how can you pre-apologize for all the heinous shit you know you're about to commit? Like, oh, sorry for in advance for brutally slaying college students. Like... obviously danny made the full confession but if this doesn't prove that everything was premeditated like i don't know what will he's literally screaming it in your face and this is actually the first time that we see him get emotional in court oh yeah so remind us what does he do (laughs) he starts to sing he says in the tape and i quote now i'm gonna sing every song i ever wrote
1: oh my god so yeah okay i listened to all of it it's interesting <laughs> the entire time again i was wondering what the jury was thinking about while they're listening to this because they had a written transcript of it i was jealous of that because you can only find the lyrics to like one or two of the songs it was kind of hard to hear so like not only was it an assault to the ears i had to really lean in and hear it which is double insulting but <laughs> the first song is really long uh, it reminds me of house of the rising sun So my notes say this is literally the longest song I've ever heard in my life. He hits
0: some sick high notes at the end, though. (laughs) I think there was a time when I was listening and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna try to like skip ahead to get to like the talking points rather than the singing points. And I kept skipping ahead and like I had to keep going back because I thought I had missed it because the songs just kept going on and on. Like there's 11 songs and motherfucker lo- put all a of whole them long. album on this shit like no unnecessary stop it no one cares danny
1: and he also it doesn't help he spends a really long time between the songs tuning his guitar yes and he honestly he sounds pretty proud of himself like so in trial it shows Sandra london who we're gonna talk about her soon she's in the audience nodding along with the music and it also shows people in the audience reacting to it which that was kind of fun for me to watch (laughs) because you get to see them getting more and more irritated
0: as he just keeps singing more songs it's kind of relieving because you're like okay cool it's not just me that is absolutely having the worst time ever listening to this Exactly. Yeah.
1: Like there's a guy, he's shaking his head in disbelief. There's people that are like laughing to themselves. And my personal favorite, there are two older women who are sitting next to each other. And one of them like nudges the other one and does the whole like finger to tongue, like that motion at her. And then they start <laughs> laughing. And I really like that. That was basically how. Yeah.
0: Amen to that, honestly. Right. I was
1: like, okay. Yeah. I agree. And then he does something that caused me to actually yell. Did he just do that at my computer? (laughs) So, okay, during song four, titled, I Need a Job, the camera, it pans to Danny, and you see him trying to get the attention of someone, and he does the little, like, turn it up motion with his hands and mouths, can you turn it up a bit, and shrugs and smiles kind of apologetically. I'm going to repeat myself so you can all sit with that for a second. (laughs) Like, he... (sighs) turn, he does the turn up thing and goes,
0: can you turn it up a bit? And just kind of like, huh? I just... No, sir, you sit there and you be quiet. You keep your mouth shut no
1: one except for you wants to hear this louder Danny like and it bothered me because he barely reacted this whole trial but he asked them to turn up his music so he can hear it louder
0: and And just like I and I listen to my own voice every week when I'm editing the podcast and it's like I've gotten used to it over time but I don't particularly like the sound of my own voice it's something that takes getting used to and so for this motherfucker to be like oh this is a good bit turn it up this is me. How dare you? Yeah, like, you know he's listening to it, and he's like, yeah, I really... Like, and you, the
1: whole time, he's, like, nodding along mm-hmm. with it. His eyes are closed. He's like, yeah, I'm feeling this. Like, it's so good. You can tell he's really into it. I just can't. And the other thing I noticed was that in court, like, he looks super emotional during the apology part of the tapes. But, like, while he's singing the songs, like, he is looking into the audience a lot. He's sitting taller. He looks proud. Like it's it's evident the difference in the like oh this is sad, Danny to like this is his moment. Mm-hmm. This is like when
0: people are finally gonna hear mm-hmm. his music. Because keep in mind, like that was his dream. True, yeah. So in a way, he's finally gotten the audience for his music that he's always wanted
1: absolutely and so in the tape someone knocks at the door and he like signs off for a bit and he comes back and he says that his heart was really heavy for the first part of the recording and then he does the whole like "Ah, my guitar was a little off the timing wasn't good like that whole kind of (sighs) thing like he tries to be like modest with the like (laughs) just hated yeah Uh, we go through 11 songs before he goes back to talking to his family and he says goodbye and he says something i thought was really interesting to kevin So he spends a lot of time giving Kevin, who didn't like hunting, hunting advice. He gives him advice on wearing camo and aiming for the lungs when you kill a deer. And he goes into great detail about how to make sure a deer properly dies, which I found so morbid considering his actions. He he also admits like he admits Kevin doesn't want to hunt no matter how badly Danny tried to get him into it. And, it like he it, gifted
0: him a bow. He talks about that. It like, makes you wonder if like deer is subtext for human being at this point. Like, right. It was so weird. Cause he just like goes,
1: it's like, you're talking about, you're gonna, like, go ahead and kill all these people. And then you basically give a lesson in how to, like, shoot a deer, chase it down, and then, like, stab it in the lungs? Yeah,
0: it's weird like, and inappropriate. Like, Like,
1: it was so bizarre. Like, and then, as we said before, he ends the tape saying he has something he needs to go do, and that's, that's the tape.
0: It sure is. And as you guys <sighs> know, like, we've had some th- thoughts about it. Um, it's basically an 11-song album and then some about the Danny show is how I would yeah. describe it, right? It's just, it's a little novel to himself, more or less. And I hate him, yeah. honestly. I, I do I feel sorry for the jury for having to sit through it and be like, okay, that was unhinged. And now we have to figure out how we're going to sentence this man.
1: Yeah. And I think that some of the uh, family members of the victims and friends of the victims were in the audience for it oh my god and that to me like I can't even imagine having to hear that and like you could see it all on everyone's faces it was I'm just glad that no one heard this and was like this is good except for Sandra, which we'll get yeah
0: Sandra's a whole other cup of tea yeah
1: so the rest of the trial goes over things like his prison interviews that he did one of them stands out a lot because it's a really like pretty petite woman that's interviewing him and he is so friendly towards her and it's so weird yeah of course he is right (laughs) like they talk about prison food and she's like is it as bad as people say and he's like oh it ain't so bad and then she starts asking him
0: if he gets like cajun food there and he says no it was just really really weird he refuses to talk about the murders and then when she pushes for it towards the end he smiles very nicely at her and then hands her back the mic and says god bless you honey y'all have a good day Who is he? I don't know. Like,
1: oh my god. So in another taped interview, we see the whole like Danny-Bobby Lewis debacle where Danny refuses to speak for himself. And he does, however, complain about how his cell was gone through and how COs didn't like him and how they ruined a Valentine's Day card that he was working on. And he seems more upset to me about the card than he did about the
0: murders, I'm not gonna lie. You're probably like right on the nose with that, of course he is. They had another inmate, a man named Russell Benstead, who also helped Danny with his confession. He spoke about how Danny cried a lot during his first night in prison, and how he was upset that people were bothering him. He said that God had forgiven him, and they should too. To which Russell responded, God may have forgiven you, but the people of Florida and Gainesville haven't. He said all of that to him, but also shared some intimate details about the victims and his personal preferences regarding them that we won't share out of respect for the victims. It goes without saying, Danny Rowling really wasn't showing any remorse, and people knew it. It certainly seemed like the jury did too. They also
1: shared a poem that Danny wrote about his alter ego, which Charlotte is going to read for you right
0: now. (laughs) Okay, so it's Poem Titled Gemini the moan the groan the silver moon shone whisper the pride dead leaves fly through the haze it smells your fears then it appears your nightmare come to life a maniac with a knife the moan the groan the silver moon shone dead leaves fly tonight in the arms of gemini a captured butterfly will die burned red with fever then turn gold forever forever my dear no more pain no more fear close your eyes my dear and sleep the moan the groan the silver moon shone into the night comes gemini and tonight you die by danny rolling boo Boo, indeed.
1: It's bad enough that he's a murdering piece of shit, but the fact that he is so pretentious about it makes it all so much worse. He's
0: like the worst hipster that you could possibly imagine. He tries to be all poetic and well-spoken, probably thinks of himself as an intellectual romantic when we all know he's one of the foulest creatures to walk the earth.
1: Oh my god, you could not be more right. O'Mather also testified, like we mentioned before, And she spoke about how James Rowling helped them out, but also admitted that she, like Kevin, may have blocked certain things out.
0: For a sec, we need something a little more positive here. So we're just going to share what happened later to O'Mather. She remarried shortly after all of this and went on to live a very happy life. This woman deserves good things after all that she went through. One of the prosecutors said... She literally does not have
1: bad feelings towards Danny Rowling. She's gone on to have a happy marriage and a happy house.
0: Her new husband ended up raising her daughter that she had had with Danny, and she considers the other man to be her father. The two ended up living a good life without Danny, and at least we have that to look at as somewhat of a happy ending here. Absolutely. Like, at least
1: there's... Honestly, I'm glad because they deserved good things.
0: Oh, Mather is honestly lucky that she wasn't one of his first victims, I think, at this point. I think that it...
1: Like, the fact that she left as quick as she did saved her life. I stand by that.
0: Absolutely.
1: Because, like, when you look at her and then you look at the victims, the victims look like younger
0: versions of her. Yeah, there's definitely some similarities Most of the victims. Yeah, obviously Mr. Taboda. Yes, obviously. Yeah.
1: I have to just say, I don't believe in the death penalty. We've talked about this before. I don't think we need to go into great detail, but I don't. Um, However, if it does exist in certain places, I think it exists for people like Danny, who without a doubt have no remorse for their actions and shouldn't be allowed to live in society. Like, there was no saving this man.
0: They had recorded tapes from various family members played for the jury, begging to spare his life. The majority of them said that only God could punish him, but his brother Kevin Rowling did say that he could beg for mercy, but that it probably wouldn't make a difference.
1: Before he was sentenced, Danny was allowed to make a statement. He starts off saying he has a lot
0: to say about the world, about my beliefs, and the destiny of man. But that anything he has to say is overshadowed by the suffering I have caused. He then dramatically raises his hand to his heart and says, I regret with all my heart what my hand has done. I have taken what I cannot return. If only I could bend back the hands on that ageless clock and change the past. Ah, but alas, I am not the keeper of time. Only a small part of history and the legacy of mankind's fall from grace. I'm sorry, your honor. When I saw him say this in the court video, I literally jumped up from my er, my chair at my desk because I was so fucking mad. He stands there behind the podium almost like he's preaching to the audience like i realize that part of the process of the trial is that he's allowed to make a statement but i don't think he should be he should have to sit in silence for the rest of his miserable existence because nothing he has to say at this point is of any value to anybody and i will stand by that and again it goes without saying danny
1: Rowling was sentenced
0: to death for the murders despite the efforts of the defense while on death row, Danny Rowling worked together with the, uh, and I say this with the highest amount of sarcasm, lovely woman named Sandra London to write a book named The Making of a Serial Killer. He also drew several drawings which were sold as murderabilia.
1: Let's talk about Sandra London, shall we? We so- gotta. Yeah. (laughs) First, we want to clarify something. They didn't get married legally. They were just engaged. But who is this woman? Because true crime fans may recognize that name.
0: She is known as a very controversial true crime writer uh, for the fact that she has dated not one, but two serial killers while they were in prison for their crimes. Uh, She actually left her current serial killer boyfriend at the time for
1: Danny. We could honestly do a whole episode on just her and her history with
0: Notorious Men. Mm -hmm. Her and Danny's book regarding the crimes were considered a huge insult by the victims' families, which is fair. We wanted to
1: share some quotes from an article about Sandra that was released by The Sun back in January of 2022, and please get ready for this. In her
0: 1993 book, Knocking on Joe, London went into further detail of her physiological reactions to rolling, remembering him as a gorgeous hunk and a dangerous pussycat. I approached my meeting with Danny thinking I was prepared for anything, but there was one thing I was not prepared for. I had no idea what a fine-looking man he is today. An excerpt of the book reads, Instead of the broken and dejected loser I'd seen on TV... Standing before my hungry eyes was one gorgeous hunk of a man. She goes on. She goes on. I'm sorry, folks, but it's the truth. My maximum man stands an imposing 6'2 with muscles out to here. His color is bright. His youthful skin is glowing. His hazel eyes are clear. And so is his head. There's a shoe for every foot. Her foot needs therapy. Oh my God! Like you're she, you're saying this, and I'm seeing
1: Danny is like, are you talking about him? Are you sure you're talking are you about sh- Danny, are, Sandra?
0: My girl, are you blind?
1: Like I, I'm gonna say I have horrific eyesight, and I rely on my glasses, and <laughs> I can't see in front of my face without them. But like, are, are you are you seeing him? Hello, ma'am? and about about Sandra. Oh yeah, Danny
0: wrote. Oh my God! Okay. Sandra runs as deep as the Amazon River, and just as wild. Oh my god. Fuck. She is an extremely exciting woman. My feelings for her are, are my feelings. Just the mention of her name sends my heart racing to her. She is without a doubt my soulmate, and I thank God above for sending her my way. Are, what drugs are these people on? Can you
1: imagine- I and like I'm sure these feelings are legitimate. I'm not gonna deny that. Like I'm sure they were super into each other. But like, really, oh, folks? I... Really, this is this is where we're going
0: for our mates? Well, like... <laughs> I guess. I mean, like... she she was eventually banned from visiting him. Um, well, but she was still able to gather the rights to his writing and his art, many of which were sold on. Interesting. She, yeah, she was also a constant presence during his trials and was always there to show support for him.
1: I can't even imagine being the family of the victims and seeing her in court lusting over him. And you see it in the court. Like, oh. you see it, especially when, they're, like, they're playing his music. It's fucking obscene, honestly. She's like... sitting there, and you can tell, like, she's... I don't want to be obscene, but she she's into it.
0: Yeah. Ugh.
1: Danny Rowling was executed on October 25th,
0: despite many efforts to appeal a sentence. His last meal consisted of a lobster tail, shrimp, a baked potato, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. During this time, he finally confessed to the killing of the Grissom family, saying, In order to fulfill all things that no stone
1: be unturned, hereby I make a formal written statement concerning the murders of Julie, Tom, and Sean Grissom in my hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana, Hal Carter, Julie Grissom's former fiancé, is 100% innocent, totally pure of that crime. I and I alone am guilty. It was my hand that took those precious lights out of this old dark world. With all my heart and soul would I bring them back. Being a native son of Shreveport, I can only offer this confession of deep-felt remorse over the loss of such fine, outstanding souls. Have wept an ocean of tears by which mournful doth float upon a sea of regret.
0: Again, I appreciate that he confessed to their murders in the end, because it must have been a bittersweet relief to the family members of the Grissoms, but could, again, you knock it off with the pretentiousness, sir? You know what my problem with him is? Amongst many things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amongst many things. Um, every time he opens his mouth, he sounds like his mouth is falling down the fucking stairs.
0: (laughs) That is one way to put
1: it. It is just like, even just reading that, I just read those words. And to me, that's not even words.
0: No. And the thing is, we all know how hollow and stupid and not at all genuine it is and so it's just it's like every time he opens its mouth it's just more insult to injury and that's just it
1: like if this was just like some dude that may be not the best poet and is writing poetry like by all means make your art even if it's not that great oh, go for obviously it. but like this is like the soulless contemplations of a man who thinks he is smarter than he is
0: yeah that's exactly it but The case for the Grissoms was no longer unsolved and the man, if you can even call him a man, responsible for the deaths of their loved ones was going to be put to death.
1: Members of the victim's families witnessed the execution along with Janet Frake, the survivor of one of his attacks.
0: Many of the family members actually disagreed with the fact that Danny was being put to death as they didn't feel it was right. However, they showed up to show support. For his last words, Danny sang
1: a three-minute hymn. He did not mention his victims or apologize for his actions
0: once. One of his attorneys even said, I was just shocked at the singing. There's got to be some dignity, some closure, some expression of remorse under these circumstances. These people deserved that. Witnesses say that Danny
1: continued to sing even after his mic was turned off and that he sang until he was
0: dead. In response to how she felt about the song, the mother of Tracy Paulus said, Hatred. I was mad all the way through it. And with that, Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper, was dead. (sighs) And
1: I have to say, Danny did promise Sandra that he would visit her in the afterlife. Um, In the 2022 interview, she says that uh, he has not.
0: Um, well, that's good because I, he, we got rid of him for a reason and I don't even want his ghost coming back, so. No, no, let him be a failure even in death. Exactly. Well, you know, so that's it. That is, that is it. We made it. Three episodes, the story of Danny Rolling, by far one of the most heinous humans we've talked about. It's gonna be a while before anyone takes his place. Well, We hope you all enjoyed this series. We know it was a tough one, but this truly is a story of how depraved one human can really be.
1: And normally you guys know I like to end our episodes with my thoughts about the series and whatnot. I have no thoughts here. (laughs) I have spent the last month thinking about Danny Rowling and I am so ready to wash my hands of this and move on to our next topic,
0: which... By the way, is also pretty rough. Well, <laughs> I think uh, throughout the last episodes, the last three episodes, we have made our opinions on Danny very fucking clear. Yeah, um, all I will say is that I'm glad he was brought to justice in the end. There is no redemption for that kind of evil. And if there is an afterlife for Danny, I hope it's horrible for him every day.
1: I am a hundred percent with you on that couple things before we go. Uh, we are accepting submissions for another Paranormal Listener Tales episode. So if you've experienced something that you just can't explain,
0: we want to hear it. Ghosts, aliens, cryptid stories, email us at thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. And we also want to thank everyone on our
1: Patreon. We're going to be doing a reaction to the Danny Rolling sentencing this week as a behind-the-scenes video.
0: So that should be pretty fun. We want to thank everyone on our Grim VIP tier and up. Big thank you to Pink Flamingo 20, Lisa, Brian, Hillary, and Mudkip make sure you don't miss out on the grim curriculum news by following us on instagram at the grim curriculum and grim curriculum on twitter we are also on tiktok and facebook and on tiktok we put the little teasers to the episode so if you want to get a quick peek at what's going on this week you can see it there i do throw them up on all the other socials too but that's where we put them on tiktok so you can I look like us up sneak yeah i do too yeah we are also available on most podcast platforms, as
1: you know. And uh, if you have an opportunity to like, comment, rate, whatever,
0: on whatever platform you're listening on, please do it. We would appreciate that. Yeah. You can also find us uh, individually on social media. We're going to link our personal socials down below, along with the other fun links we have going on. Thanks for listening. This has been The, the group Curriculum. Curriculum anthrax is named for the ancient greek word for coal because of the characteristic black skin lesions developed by people with cutaneous anthrax infection so now that's something you know yummy yeah bye bye